Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive, or if you think like one, and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of X-Quadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve extraordinary results. And no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In this episode, I speak with Stephen Forshu Kane, who is the chief executive of Scott Logic. We talk about his first few quarters in the chief exec role, and it's a fantastic conversation. Stephen has a structured view, really well thought through of that journey in the CEO role. We talk about what the biggest surprise was that he found as he as he entered the top job. We looked at how he engaged with the founder to understand the story which really shaped his approach to the organization. He gives four very, very clear areas that every CEO needs to attend to. And he also gives us a great nugget about how we use 20% of our time in a way that makes the other 80% way more impactful. This is a great conversation, plenty of learnings. Do we hope you enjoy it with Stephen Forshu Kane. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm actually really delighted to be here. Well, it's going to be fun. We're going to look at what I call the CEO learning curve. You joined Scott Logic just you know a couple of years ago, and it'd be really it's going to be really interesting to look at you know what you've learned about those first few months or quarters uh, in in the role. Before we go any further, why don't you give us an explanation first of all? What is Scott Logic, and then we'll kind of go into your story from there. Sure. So Scott Logic is a technology professional services firm. Um, uh, we essentially build custom or bespoke software solutions for our clients, introducing technical innovation into their organizations to help them solve some of their most complex um, you know, uh, challenges or potentially exploit new markets as well. Um, historically, the firm uh, uh, was founded about 16 years ago. I think we're into our 17th year, actually, um, and very much focused on the financial services sector, a sector that had increasing regulation, competition, um, technical innovation, and, 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 and so we focused on financial services. Over the last couple of years, we've expanded into the public sector as well, a passion of mine, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, but yeah, a very successful company helping our clients solve some of their hardest uh, and most complex technical challenges. Right, got it. And just in terms of scale, right, how, how big is this company roughly? Sure. So we're, we're uh, the number keeps changing, but... Um, <laughs> You know, we're about, uh, you know, we're over, last year we were over 40 million in terms of revenues. We're on track definitely to, to increase that. Um, this is significantly double digit growth, over 400 employees, predominantly based in the United Kingdom. We also have a presence in Europe um, and we are looking to the future that perhaps we'll be serving, uh, you know, operating in markets globally. But we certainly serve clients who are all over the world at the moment. As you can imagine, in the financial services sector, we have a number of North American clients as well as those based in, in London across the continent as well. 
Perfect. So, so it's a really successful company, and I know it's had a long, a long history of, of success. And um, there was, I know there was a you know, founder who created the company has been CEO before you, which you stepped into those those shoes. So, what's the story behind that? So, tell us a bit about. Um, I think it's your first CEO role. So, um, a very successful founder of the else, and he besides Steve's the man for for you know for for, the, for this role for the for the for the next uh, for the next phase in the company so tell us a bit about what's your background and then what's the intersection right what was it about perhaps what you brought that led to this next step okay so I hope this doesn't sound too much like canned content because I've obviously been meeting a lot of our clients and they want to know a little bit about who's who's this guy who's tipping up and potentially providing some critical services for them um so I'm Australian British I think I still put it that way around I think 22 years it's almost getting to the point where I might say British Australian at some ah point. well I, I've been 22 years in France at this point and uh I just yeah. like to say to people um yeah, if, if British people think I'm quite French these days, and French people still think I'm very, very British. So, <laughs> I, because because I have a, a long, long time ago background in 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 theatre and in acting, I do have the ability to pick up accents. So people sometimes can find it difficult to pitch where I'm from, but but definitely Australian British. Been here twenty two years. Um, I describe myself as a career consultant. You know, working in technology for the best part of the last thirty years. Um, you know, the last 22 of those predominantly in technology professional services consulting here in the UK. Um, I have been client side as well. I've, I've done a, a number of executive roles in, in enterprise businesses like the Co-op Group, which is a, you know, a, a, a member owned um, retail and, and group organization here in the UK, one of the largest actually uh, grocers in the UK, convenience groceries. Um, as well as I've worked in the public sector. So I, I did a stint um, leading the government digital service in the cabinet office, which is at the center of central government driving digital transformation uh, across the, the central government. Um, and I think, you know, I think the reason I was attractive to Scott Logic and why Scott Logic was attractive to me is one, I think it starts with domain expertise. You know, I've worked in large consulting organizations, some of the biggest in the in the world. I've worked in small uh, kind of uh, technology professional services organizations, I've worked at some in the middle. Um, so I, I think step one was I have a toolkit. I know this business. Yeah, let me jump in on that because I think it's interesting that large and small, I think it's often something which people don't always consider but I think it really creates a range, right? You know, the first company I worked for when I joined it, it was 80 people, grew fast. You know, um, when I, you know, it was several hundred people by the time I, I left and um, had a senior role in it. And then I went into Cisco, which had, you know, in fact, tens of thousands of employees, right? And was, a, you know, Fortune 50 company and everything else. And I think it does create a breadth of, of awareness and skills when you, when you have that mix. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, let's be clear, the reason I was, I, I, I believe the reason I was brought into it, Scott Logic is the company has grown, um, you know, over the last 16 years, obviously. One of the things uh, I, I've been brought in to do is really think about how do we scale it? How do we do different, more, better? Um, how do we tap into the potential in the organization to do more with what we have, but also continue to grow it and see greater return um, from what we have within the organization? And you can't, you know, I think one of the, the 
when again, tools in my toolkit is I've seen small organizations grow to mid and then large organizations. I've been in mid-sized organizations and see them, you know, go through that maturing process in their kind of teenage years. And I've also been in large organizations and I've con- I, and I can see what's needed at scale. At, at, you know, we're talking hundreds yeah. of thousands of employees, um, but also some of the limitations uh, and some of the, you know, the compromises you have to make when you're operating at scale and dealing with that level of complexity. So there was definitely something about domain expertise um, and the experience and breadth of experience in technology consulting. Um, mm. I do come from a delivery background. So I was, uh, I was a consultant for myself, uh, running custom software delivery programs, um, as well as um, what I would call uh, change programs, which were to enable organizations to understand modern engineering practices, technology delivery um, competencies and capabilities and how do you actually build them into your organization if they aren't actually native um, so there's an element of, of I wouldn't call myself a management consultant um, uh, in any stretch but certainly in the domain of how do you introduce change mm. um, particularly around ways of working behaviors and competencies into organizations I think that's where, where the, the conversation started certainly um, you know I enjoy the process of growing an organization but seeing it realize its full potential and so the hook for me in the first conversation was, here's a successful organization. It is growing, but is there real opportunity here for this to outperform? Um, and that was certainly a big part of it. I think the other two, I think, but I think those are table stakes. Like mm. if you're going to run a professional services consultant, you probably need to know how those sort of things right. you know, run. I, I think there were two other things that were the predominant part of the conversation. And it was quite a lengthy process. Um, you know, as you can imagine, a founder owner is looking mm. for his successor. That's going to take some time. You really yeah. want who to am I going to give the baby? Yeah, who am I going to give the baby to? Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think the other one that we tested in both directions through our conversations with one another was cultural alignment. Um, you know, you know, is this person going to be the sort of leader um, that people will want to follow? I mean, we, we had a long conversation that I have a principle that actually uh, successful leaders lead with the permission of the lead, um, that people are willing to give you the trust um, and understand that where you want to go um, is a place that they want to follow you to or be a part of the journey towards. And so we spent a lot of time of like, what is the culture of Scott Logic? Why does, why does this company exist? And why should I want to come and be a part of it? Why should it want me to be a part of it? Um, and you know, we're a people business, right? We don't, we, we have no other products, but the smart stuff that's in every consultant's yeah. head that's it's got logic. We have a high bar for the talent that we, you know, we, we invite to join us. Um, and so, you know, caring about, genuinely caring about those people, mm. their aspirations, the work they do, understanding the challenges that they face um, and making sure that they can do that um, and that they feel engaged in a conversation about the sort of organization we're being. That was a big part of, of you know, kind of the, the original conversation. And then it's, I think... Just, just jumping in on that, I, I think it's, it's so interesting, right, this cultural alignment, because um, as you said... It, it might not be the first thing people might, they might go to the domain expertise, for example, or, you know, can you, can you do the job in that sense? But um, it's just fascinating. I was doing a call yesterday, recording another episode, actually the podcast, so you have to listen to it, or um, with another leader who, um, she said that she, she was in the company and there were two other people who were brought in as CEO when the founder right. moved on. They both lasted very, very short amounts of time, a matter of months and a matter of weeks. 
and she described it as organ rejection that they had the CV, they had the expertise, they'd previously had CEO roles, they were seen as hotshots, they were seen as superstars, but they didn't have the cultural alignment. They didn't, it didn't work. It was, they had everything on the paper, but in practice, they didn't have the fit. And so actually taking somebody who had actually grown up with an organization was almost, became almost the safe bet because they knew already that cultural fit was there. So I'm not saying you always have to recruit from within, obviously it shows that you don't, but making sure that you, you actually are set up to win by yeah. going into a culture which you resonate with. And I think it's a fine line because the other thing is you can get myopic, right? If we only ever hire people that look and sound like us or think like us, um, and we call that cultural alignment because they're going to fit in that sense, mm. that can actually drive you to to actually a constraint. Like you mm. can't. So you've got to have this way, I think, of being able to connect with people, like meaningfully connect with people um, at a very personal level, but also be able to recognize that, you know, I stepped into this organization, I was not breathing the same oxygen yeah. as everyone else yet. Now I've normalized most likely, like we all do, but being able to say, well, actually let's think about some, let's, let's create an environment where we can think about things differently, but that's safe for all of us. Um, that's safe for me as the new guy and that's safe for people mm-hmm. who spend. And we've got people who, who uh, you know, with us 16, 70 years, they're right back at the start. In fact, we've got one of our senior leaders mm-hmm. was a graduate who has, grown his career through a startup, which is extraordinary and fantastic um so how do you bring all of that together so that well, was the second one and 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 on this this point about fitting in i i think one of the things that i have is around fitting in versus belonging uh i was introduced this by my own um uh, one of my own coaches and mentors and i use it in my own group i've just ran um, a new cohort of ceos coming into my ceo community um just this week and we had our initial session one of the things we talked about, I talked about was you don't have to fit in to belong. In fact, you mustn't fit in because you're going to bring each of your unique thing to this group, right? And so fitting in is not what we're looking for, but you belong, right? right. And and I think there is this question, as you said, which is like, if everyone totally just fitted in, you're not going to have any of that fresh thinking, the fresh ways. You don't want to say to fit in, but do you have enough in common that right. you can belong, Right. I mean, there's a hackneyed um, uh, kind of analogy. And I, I took because one of the things I'm very passionate about, particularly at Scott Logic, but more broader than that is diversity and inclusion. And the last part of that is belonging that, you know, it's not a, it's not good enough to invite people to the party and then have them stand on the sidelines. It's not good enough to invite people to party and then say, would you like to come and dance? But then look at the way they dance and go, well, that's not the way we dance here. It's invite them to the party, get them on the dance floor. And however they choose to dance, that's good because mm-hmm. it, adds to the overall um collective well you haven't seen me dance obviously but <laughs> I, I get the basic idea <laughs> probably in the dad dancing category these there days. we go i um, definitely am and i think the third one that i spent i spent a lot of time and quickly it became quite a focus of the conversation with with gary who was the founder gary scott um was really about the sense of purpose driven i there's a thread through my career where i certainly have felt m- more probably in the last 10 years or 15 years than the early part of my career, but more and more it's become increasingly important to me, which is what's the impact? What's the purpose? Why does this organization exist? And what is my contribution to that, that purpose? Um, and, you know, fortunately in the case of Scott Logic, you know, I, I, I think it's important, particularly if you're, you're taking over from a founder, is to understand the founder's story. Why did you put yourself in place to go and create this thing? That's risky. That's hard work. That's 
you know, that takes a lot of effort. Why did you do it? And there was a core um, never written down, never probably ex- expressed the way I have subsequently chosen to express it. But it really was about creating opportunity that, you know, Gary had, had uh, he's, you know, he's Northeast based. He's a, he's a Newcastle lad. He'd, he'd gone to London to, to pursue his technology career in, in the financial services industry. And at a point in his career, he said, well, why did I have to do that? Why did I have to leave the community mm. into which I was born, which I was educated, which has supported me? Why did I have to leave it to avail opportunity? I'm going to create my company in Newcastle. That's where I'm going to start. And I'm going to create opportunity for people to enjoy the sort of career that I have had without having to let go of community. So it started there. Yeah. Um, we had graduates very early, much earlier, I think, than, than a lot of uh, organizations similar uh, to Scott Logic might, you know, bring them in. And um, once again, that was about, well, why should people have to go away to come back to their yeah. community? Why can't they do it here? And so there was a real sense of, of purpose behind the company that I went, yeah, I can get to that. Because actually creating opportunity, okay, it started with creating opportunity regionally in the UK. Um, but now we can go bigger than that. Now that we've got a platform and capacity um, and capability, we can think about different ways that that purpose can come to life. And there was a really strong hook for me. I mean, the, I, you, yeah, I, sorry, I, just, I love that. I mean, this idea of understand the founder's story. I think it's a, it's a great takeaway. It really is because how many CEOs really really do that and, and suddenly they've got a company that it's, it's it's a disembodied financial engine right whereas if you understand why it was created what's really the cultural driver that's been instilled implicitly probably in many cases then I think you're tapping into the heart and soul right absolutely absolutely and I you know we, you know, we'll talk about you know one, probably one of the biggest surprises I had it led me to want to write that stuff down it led mm. me to want to start talking to people about it um, and it does come to that that kind of cultural alignment, which, you know, as you say, it was implicit. Um, it, it certainly kind of filtered through the, the, the fabric of the organization. But by being able to step in and say, actually, we are all united that this describes why we are here and what this organization is for. Mm. It means we can talk about different things. We can bring different ideas to the table because they are rooted in the same reason for being in the first place. Um, yeah. So th- those were the three big things for me, like the domain expertise, the cultural alignment, and rooting all of that into, well, why does this exist? And do I want to be a part of this? And obviously, the answer was yes. Yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. Thank you. It's so clear. Uh, let's move on. You started to talk about surprises. And uh, yeah, and, and that's why I'd love to understand what, what surprised you, right? You you'd had very senior roles in other companies. Here, you kind of got the, the CEO role, which has a different scope so what were the surprises that you found as you kind of wrestled with with uh, with that new uh, opportunity so first and foremost and and you know i'd been surprised by this before so i had no right to be surprised by this one but stepping into an organization of you know 400 500 people the first one was you know you can't run the company in fact your job isn't to run the company but you kind of step into it and think right i'm here ceos they run come back everybody yes exactly here stand here. back um and so the first thing was, you know, that's not what the job is. If you try and run the company, you will go mad. You'll probably get ill. Um, you'll probably piss off a bunch of people who, who are hugely capable and ready to support you and want to be a part of it. Um, you know, you kind of step in, you kind of think, all right, I need my hands on all the buttons and all the levers, and I need to know where all the connections are. Um, and very quickly, you know, I, I kind of worked out I would go mad, I'd get ill, all the, all the bad things of trying to, to be mm. that person would come in. So I had to step back. Um, I think there was a period, um, three to six months, which was 
actually let me understand how it is run um, with, and resist the urge to go and get my hands on the controls. Um, just understand why people were making the choices they were doing or why processes were working the way they were and how did people think that they were successful or what problems there were all that kind of. there was definitely a period um but i had to sit on my i literally had to sit on my hands um I, you're seeing me on video because you can see my hands bouncing all over the screen um you know with this i you know the first six months was really don't reach for the controls yeah. and after about six months um I mean, i've only been there well it's 14 months now um after the first six months i really kind of said okay I understand how it's run and that's great. There are areas for improvement. There are areas I want to introduce change. There are some things that are brilliant. I want, I want to make sure that we acknowledge those and we keep doing those or we do those uh, more. Um, but what is my role in that? As, as the, the chief exec, you know, where do I play? And so there were four things for me. Um, the first one was context. Like my view very much was, um, uh, you know, I wanted to, people talk about empowerment and and, and that kind of thing. I definitely wanted to give people autonomy and agency. Um, If I couldn't control the levers and the strings without a whole bunch of bad things happening, then nobody else could either individually or or personally. Mm. I wanted to make sure people feel, actually, if that is within your span of control, you have agency, you have genuine empowerment. And to do that, you have to understand the bigger picture. You've got to understand the context in which you're making choices. This actually came, let's state our purpose. Let's write it down. Let's Mm. use that as a lens to help us make good good decisions. So, you know, our purpose is to create opportunity and sustainable prosperity through technical innovation. So let's use that as we're making choices. Is this thing we're going to do going to create sustainable prosperity for Mm. us? for our people, for our clients, for our communities and society that we, we live in. Is it, is it going to create opportunity? That's why we're here. Mm. How does this decision help us do that? Are we using technology in an innovative and exciting, exciting way? And so if you can create, and, and it, it wasn't just um, you know, writing the purpose down. Um, it was talking to people about why that was important and how they might want to use it. It was reasserting uh, our mission um, you know, thinking about our client mission, you know, our, our organization or our economic mission, um, as well as our social value and our, the impact we wanted to have uh, more broadly than just the organization, setting those things out, reasserting our values. But it was also starting to articulate, well, what's the strategy? What are the, the big pieces that we need to be thinking about and how they work together so that people could and we talked to the whole company about this. This wasn't just a group of execs sitting in a room going, oh, here's our five-point strategy for the next six months or 12 months or five years. Yeah, because it's not a shared context, right? It's, that's but just... Trying to bring the whole organization in so that when you see this decision, you understand why or how that decision was arrived at. So the first one was context. Um, you and I have talked uh, ahead of this call. I am very uh, you know, performance-motivated, task-orientated, um, and when you when you kind of spell out a, a purpose as, as broad as as a you know an encompassing as as you articulate you know an ambitious multi year strategy, where do you go first? And mm-hmm. if you don't know where you're going first, then everyone could be going somewhere different. So the second part was really about describing focus and trying to narrow down what are the most important things first, next, and then. Um, who do we want to be in the next six, 12 months? Where do we need to get to in the 12, you know, 12 to 24, 36? And what's beyond that? 
And how do we actually focus in on the things that are going to have the greatest impact? And how do we co- have collective agreements about that? Mm. There's, actually, there are some other important things, but right now they're not immediately in our focus for very specific reasons. It's Richard here with a quick interlude. As part of my coaching and advisory work, I often work with leaders who have recently taken on the CEO role. It's a big leap from the comfort zone of functional leadership or business unit management. And it opens up a whole new set of stakeholders, pressures, decisions, and responsibilities. I found that there are three key things that will make a huge difference in those first quarters. Number one, balancing the operational and the strategic, what I call CEO focus. Number two, establishing credibility, what I call CEO presence. And number three, managing stakeholders, those CEO conversations. I've written a short email series that goes into more detail on the transition to CEO and how you can practically sharpen your CEO focus, solidify your CEO presence and master your CEO conversations. It's insightful and it's entirely free of charge and you can register for it by going to xquadrant.com forward slash go forward slash curve. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, I love this concept of the rallying cry, you know, which is you know, what's the number one thing right now or, you know, and, and you can only have one at a time because otherwise it's chaos, right? But so it's, as you said, it's trying to get a bit of a phasing and what are we going to do now that allows us to then build the next thing next quarter or whatever right. it is. And if you've done context right, people can see the build right, um, and they can understand why choices are made to focus on AO. Mm. I think that's super important. The next bit was was then creating momentum and particularly taking in an, an established organization. Um, you know, once again, this, this was a successful business. It had done things in a way that had allowed it to continue to grow and to thrive over, you know, a decade and a half and more. Mm. Um, and so it can be quite, you know, uh, easy to kind of say, well, how do we just do a little bit more of what we did yesterday? Um, and will that be sufficient? And of course, when you start to think about the context we built and the focus, it's like, well, probably not. But how do we find the energy within ourselves to step away from the tried and trusted things that got us here and accept that they probably won't be the things that get us to the next level? Mm. That's scary. We've talked about that. You know, that can be, you know, quite confronting. Oh, but I'm comfortable. I know how this works. I'm stepping into something that's a little bit more unknown to me um, that we're going to have to discover. We might have to learn some stuff. Oh, goodness, we might even make some mistakes. Um, how do we make that safe? So it's, it's creating that sense of, of drive through focus in a bigger picture and making it safe for people to step into the unknown, which probably leads me on to my last one, which I spend um, you know a lot of my time um around relationships and thinking about the quality of relationships the impact of my behavior my choices my drives on other people trying to understand what i'm observing in the behavior of other people because their motivations might be hidden um, and trying to understand well if they see that maybe don't use my lens to interpret it maybe talk to them about what you're observing Mm. and the impact they might be having Um, and to move us beyond um 
you know, this concept of the, the, the functional or the performing team, which says, well, you do a thing and I do a thing. And yeah, they're interrelated, but they're kind of separate. And maybe I rely on you for some stuff and you rely on me for some stuff, but there's no deeper connection. Getting the relationships to a point where there is a genuine level of trust and actually people move off their own agenda because they are genuinely invested in the success of, of their other team members whether that's the exact team or the senior leadership team or any member of the overall uh, organization team at Scott Logic is being able to move to somebody else's agenda and understanding that that starts with high trust. Um, so the biggest one was, you know, the biggest surprise is I can't run the company, um, but for the company to run, these are yeah. the things I need to spend my time on. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And of course, you know, Steve's book is now available in all good booksellers. Um, <laughs> it's really, it's beautiful, right? It's really clear. And, and I think it's a great, it's a great roadmap. Uh, I think it's, it's gold, right? I mean, we are without context, you have to end up micromanaging or you have to feel because nobody else has it, right? So how are you expecting people to deliver? I'll tell a story because I, I think it was day two. Yeah, I'm new CEO. I still don't know. I joined during pandemic. So I'm right. trying to meet people and establish these relationships over camera. And, and, and somebody from, from the operational side of the business kind of put a call in my diary and said, oh, we've got this client opportunity. We've got two client opportunities um, that are very specific skill set. And we've got one person available who could do it. Steve, which person, you know, which client engagement should we assign this person to? I'm like, I am literally the least qualified person in this organization to be able to answer that question. Um, so I, I did what I needed. The instinct say was, like, well, well, what do you think? Like, I'm talking to the person who has most of the information, will feel the greatest impact of a good or a bad decision. Um, you know, what do you think? And, and I think, you know, that was the other uh, you know, that, that's a, an instinctive response. I literally didn't know how to answer that question. And so I answered it as a consultant would always answer it with another question. Um, and the person immediately went, well, we should do this one because, you know, the team needs it more or the impact could be greater. And we have someone coming on the line who could take on the second client. We think they can wait a little bit longer. I was like, brilliant. I don't have to give you that answer. I don't have to be the one who steps in because you have context. You understand the decision that needs to be when you're able to do it. And I guess that was a second learning they had that, you know, how um, how long term costly it can be, uh, and not just to a CEO, I think to any leader, but how long term costly it is to give orders, to tell people the answer or tell them how to do things or step in and make decisions, which actually you can make, but you should have a hook that says, should I make that one? Because otherwise I'm making that decision every time and I'm disempowering, I'm removing agency and autonomy from that individual. Um, and then and the, you, once again, we yeah. talked a little bit about this. It's so hard in the moment, uh, particularly for someone like me who is task oriented. It's like, well, I make a decision. I tell someone how to do it. It gets done. Tick. Immediate burst of energy in my heart. That's oh, I can move on to the next thing. So in the moment, it feels so rewarding. Um, but what I'm left with is, and if I do that with everybody, a bunch of people who are, are now reliant on me to make that decision for them. And you've and trained them. And you've right. trained them, right? Yeah. And, and suddenly it's like, that's, right. what they, that's, that's what the boss expects, et cetera. And right. actually, it's probably safer because uh, you know, I'm not going to get shouted out for doing the wrong thing. Um, and yeah, suddenly you've got a very passive organization. And, and, you know, um, and people are wondering, why are these people so passive? I'm waiting for their ideas. Well, you've created that reality. Right. Um, and even when leaders come in, often they, they often leaders will find they have to change that reality that's been created by a predecessor. You know, we need to actually say, this is not the game anymore. Yeah, let's not do it like that. And then I think that's the other one, which is um, particularly joining an organization 
of this size with this 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 history behind it is it's really hard to know what's really going on um you know people will happily you know give you reports or you know financial statements or there'll be dashboards you can look at or powerpoint you know oh, we did it this way and, and here it is and that's a certain amount of information and it is important and i'm not denying it but it's really hard then to know well how, how do people feel about that where are their ideas um and and so i think the other thing and this is a lesson i learned um uh, uh, um, when I was in government, actually, I was very fortunate to spend some time with the then cabinet secretary, Sir Jeremy Hayward, um, who you know has 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 fought, unfortunately passed on. Um, but I remember having a conversation with him in the corridors, I think, and asking him like, "You've got to like your job's nuts. You've got to run this massive public service, civil servant machine that delivers public policy in the UK and, and public services." You know, how do you choose where to spend your time? Um, and I remember him saying, you know, he spent about 20, 25 percent of his time just talking to people. I was like a day, a, a, more than a day a week, just just chatting to people beyond you know, the scheduled meetings and the, the reports. He said, yeah, it's the only way I really understand where to spend the rest of my time because the data I can take in and I can interpret um, uh, but to turn data into information I really needed to understand how the senior civil servants and and, and the broad civil sector uh, public sector workers really how they felt about it and I suddenly realized I was like yeah he's been doing that to me for the last year and a half he's been asking me about this or what was my opinion on that and so I think that's that that is super important um, that you coming into an organization as a new leader, but I would say even as an established leader is make sure you've got the ability personally, but also through you know, the, the other leaders in your organization to really connect and spend time asking people, what's really going on for you? What's yeah. that feel like? What, what's happening? What do you see? Um, because it's not always represented in the information that, that, that would otherwise normally flow to you. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, create space and connect because then that's that's slowing down. Yeah, if you're stuck in meetings all day, it might feel productive, but do you really getting the context yourself that you need? Right. So I think that's fantastic um, advice. Hey, Steve, we have time. Let's move on and, and get to our little quick fire questions. I always think it's interesting to find out a little bit about some of the inputs uh, to to the lives of our, our CEOs. Oh. Um, what's the favorite quote that has perhaps um, influenced you or guides your your leadership? Yeah, so it's a it's a David Marquette um, quote, uh, the author of uh, "Turn the Ship Around" and uh, "Leadership is Language," which is "Don't take control and attract followers; it is give control and create leaders." Um, and importantly, the, the the leaders in that is lowercase L because it's talking about behaviour uh, rather than roles. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, sum, sums up a lot of what we've been talking about today. What about a favorite app? Is there an app on your phone, you know, apart from the usual email and calendar and everything else, where you kind of turn to? Uh, yeah, to I can assure you, calendar is not my favorite app on my phone. <laughs> absolutely. Um, no, it's Medium. So the the blog platform. Uh, you know, I find I'm a magpie. I, I I like to pick up ideas from here, there, and everywhere, and uh, I do read a, a, a lot. But you know, I get you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, a train here or a cab right there. Uh, I just find Medium really, really just to be able to dip into people I'm connected to, but also it suggests ideas and I can make just short, sharp kind of burst of, oh, that's really interesting. I'm now going to go think about that and where I might take it. Yeah, beautiful. How about a book that's really influenced you? 
this is probably obvious, which is um, Simon Sinek's book, uh, um, uh, Start With Why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I talk about creating context, um, you know, and, and my conversation with clients um, very much, you know, there is a, a, a vast you know, professional services, technology consulting, um, you know, supplier base out there, you know, why would a client choose to work specifically with Scott Logic? And so we always start with, well, what is Scott Logic for? Why does it exist? And why is it specifically uh, the, the partner of choice for, for any of our particular clients? Also, sometimes why it is not. Um, and I think that's important as well. And I, you know, Simon writes very eloquently and speaks very eloquently about that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's 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 a counterintuitive, right? It starts you know, until you suddenly realise, yeah, actually, when we speak from our essence, it does attract people and repel others, and that's the right. That's how it should be. Um, what advice would you give your twenty year self, your twenty year old self? I think there's there's probably two parts to this. Well, the first one is definitely that the and we used to use this phrase uh, a lot when I was in government, but the the team is the unit of delivery. Um, and really kind of um, think, you know, the first part of my career, and I, I, I think I expect, I don't come from a technical uh, kind of background. You know, I, I come from an arts background. And I think I spent the very, you know, the first half of my career um, building my own skills and trying to prove those skills because I had a, a you know, an imposter syndrome. Like, How have I ended up in technology? I know nothing about this. What value can I possibly bring? Um, and so it, it was often that I was focusing on me and my individual contribution, which without all of the other people involved in what is a team sport creating modern software, I couldn't have been successful. And so I definitely would go back and say, yeah, you've got to, you've got to build your skills. That's absolutely something. But see it in the context and its contribution to the collective. That is that one. The other one, um, you know, is really developing or cultivating a genuine care for the other people that you work with. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the functioning versus the, you know, the high performing team where there's genuine investment in the success of other people. You've got to get a bit deep to, to you've got to get behind the professional persona or the skills and capabilities someone's representing, really get to know them a bit. And if you believe that teamwork, um, uh, the combination of skills and capabilities, experiences and backgrounds, that those are a differentiator for high performing teams, then actually caring, genuinely caring about the other members of that team is the foundation for that. So I definitely tell myself to do more of that. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, thank you. That's it's um, uh, it's so challenging as well for many of us, right? We focus on our own skills and um, actually remembering that it's only as they're expressed through the context of the team or the collective that they that they scale their impact. It's right. a fantastic, um, it's a fantastic catch. Uh, last one is yeah, many of you know many of our best guests on the show come from referrals. So I'm always curious to find out you know who's somebody who's influenced you personally. You know, a CEO. Um, perhaps you've encountered in your own career, you know, who might be a great guest for for the podcast, and what do you admire about them? So there's two, um, uh, and they're not CEOs, interesting enough. But they, they, one goes back some time. One I've met re- relatively recently. The first one is a chap called Colin Ferguson, who uh, runs the Altitude Foundation, which is uh, we supported its creation through Scott Logic way before I arrived here. But it focuses on um, you know creating opportunity once again, aligned with our purpose, um, to open up access to technology careers to, to kids from backgrounds who might otherwise not. And so oh. it focuses on programs in schools to, to introduce technology careers and skills to kids and all the rest of it. And Colin, one is a domain expert, 
in, in what he's doing. And I, you know, I could literally uh, listen to him talk about the impact the work the Art Institute Foundation has. But he also does it in such a gentle um, and inviting way in. Um, and I just think his natural style for, and, and making you know, what is a very small organization have such a tremendous impact. I just imagine if I could get that ratio working for Scott Logic, you know, I'd be taking over the world, I think. Um, so I, I definitely respect him for the style he brings to it, the deep domain knowledge and care and passion he has for his space. Um, but just the way he brings people uh, and builds coalition, I think. So that's one. The other one was a, a lady called Janet Hughes. Um, she's program director for the Future Farming and Countryside program at DEFRA. She worked with me um, uh, when I was in government. Um, uh, if you know anything about GDS back in, or the government digital service back in those days, there was one of our stickers was Be Bold, which was Janet. Janet was challenging the four um, kind of principles of the, uh, of the civil service code and saying it's missing something. It's missing. Be bold, along with, you know, impartiality and objectivity right. and all the stuff that's in there. Um, incredibly um, capable uh, leader. And once again, very humble in how she brings people together. She's done some amazing work in bringing together a podcast uh, for farmers to talk about the program of work she's doing and how government policy is going to affect farming in this country. And once again, it's just built this incredible coalition, her team, her stakeholders, a broader group of people who are impacted by that work. Um, just truly extraordinary and, and definitely someone I, I would suggest you talk to. Uh, fantastic. Thanks so much. So let me ask my favourite questions, which is about the next level, because that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. What, where do you go from here as a business? You know, where does Scott Logic go in the next few years? What's its next level going to look like? Well, bigger and better. But um, I mean, I get a lot of calls from people that work in, in corporate finance uh, who, you know, ah, do you want some investment? Do you want us to buy it? It's like, go away. We're very happy being, uh, you know, a, a private, um, privately owned um, company. Um, but we do want to grow for sure. Um, but the focus is growing with that purpose. The growth for the sake of growth is not interesting to us. We want to grow um, in ways that we can actually demonstrably point to our creating opportunity for our clients, for our people, uh, for, for the communities we live in. And how do we do more of that? Um, so I think it, it is, you know, I said traditionally we're in the financial services sector. Um, it, we've got a significant uh, proportion now of public sector work. There are whole industries that haven't yet been able to tap into what I think is some really brilliant people at Scott Logic. I want to bring that forward. I think there are also uh, new and evolving technologies that we want to explore, and we want to be able to bring those to our clients and say, here is opportunity for you to actually move the dial for your business through our expertise uh, and the technologies of the market. Um, but importantly, it's got to be sustainable, that this isn't a spurts and flop. This isn't a mm -hmm. let's push hard and uh, ease it off, that we actually are building towards, uh, I, I sometimes use the language of the hundred year company, that, that I'm merely a custodian for the foreseeable journey that I will be on with Scott Logic, which hopefully is, is long and many years. Um, but that, that actually we're building a platform that the things that we hold to be true today, that we think are important to our business today, mm -hmm. will have long tenure. Um, and that we will yeah. be acknowledged and respected for in the years and decades to come. Yeah, I love it. And I'm, the next question is the, 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 the uh, corollary of that. Um, as you will look to grow with purpose and build that 100-year company, what are you going to need to do yourself to multiply your impact, right? We've talked about this, what got us here 
never gets us there and we're going to have to reinvent that success formula a little bit so where where might that stretch be for you Steve? um yeah i mean this this was a hard question to think about because like, obviously i'm perfect well, yeah <laughs> um, i pick that one up but yeah. not in, in any sense <laughs> of the word. i think one um it, it comes back to focusing on being more teacher than captain um that you know the more and the longer i do this job um, yeah, I now have 30 years of experience and it's interesting, um, but it's only my experience. And really, rather than use that experience to tell other people, mm. it's expose that experience such that they can tap into and learn from it in their own way. Um, and so, you know, I talk about sitting on my hands. I talk about um, trying not to necessarily give the answer, but sit back a little and say, well, what do you think? Where are you heading with that? What are you observing? What are you feeling? Um, I need to definitely uh, sit on my hands more um, and resist the, the little devil on my shoulder who says, answer that. You know the answer to that. You're the smartest kid in the class. Um, the good news is I, I'm not the smartest kid in the class, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I found my, pla- my place in an organization where I think it's a pretty advanced class. Hmm. And as much as I can open my experience up for others such that they can learn from it, I have to open myself up to learn from them as well. That I am not inured from that because of the position that I hold. Um, uh, And so I I definitely need to think about that. Um, The other one is I I listened to one of your other podcasts, actually, and I was like, yeah, that Um, I have to keep telling the story. And it feels like I'm being repetitive. Um, that, you know, when I talk about purpose, mission, values, I talk about what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. You, know, you get to a point where it's like, oh, God, someone's going to call me out that he's a broken record. He, he's got one or two lines and he just keeps using it. It's once again getting comfortable with that because that is a part of the foundation of what we're trying to build on. And some of the things we'll do will change around it. But being true to that, that context that we set up front and it's rooted in purpose is super important. I'd like to say... If you're not boring your executive team silly with your messaging and and your priorities, then you're not communicating enough, right? Because if they're not bored silly, then the rest of the organization is probably not hearing it. Right. Right. (laughs) Because it takes, dilutes as as it goes out. Absolutely. 110% on that. So almost, it almost becomes like a sign of pride. Like, do I sound like a broken record to you? Yes. Excellent. Right. That's what you want. You want to be the broken record in many ways. So... Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a good catch. So last thing, Steve, um, this has been a great discussion. If people want to find out more about you or, or, or about Scott Logic, what's the best way for them to do that? <clears throat> well, I mean, folks can obviously check out the website, you know, scottlogic.com, two T's in Scott. Um, uh, or reach out directly. Actually, we've got an email address. It's just set up at steve at scottlogic.com. Uh, where folks can contact us directly. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not the only person who looks at that that inbox. Uh, so no, no, of... no, no deeply personal secrets. But, you know, <laughs> we got it. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bunch that help me with that, but definitely reach out. You know, if there's people who want to know more about us or um, want to work with us or possibly join us um, or want to hear about some of, you know, I talk about three pillar mission that we have. One of those is about impact and social impact and, you know, what we want to to see in the world and be in the world as a part of it. Um, if people want to talk to us about that too, there's obviously the Altitude Foundation that we support, but we do more than that as well. And I'm always keen to hear about what other organizations are doing in the space of social impact and what's working, what's not working. So definitely up for that. Perfect. Well, hey, see, this has been a fantastic conversation. You know, I think you've, you've given us so much and thank you. You've clearly thought about this stuff. You know, I say you can write a book on it. You've got your context, your focus, your momentum uh, and relationships. And I think these, these reflections around 
the cost of giving orders and the importance of actually creating this space in your diary to just connect with people, uh, find out what's really going on uh, and all the other things we've talked about. It's been it's been really, really rich. So just thank you for sharing your wisdom and being so open and engaging around it. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, my 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 internal imposter syndrome is kicking in. Say, like, oh, everyone knows this already, Steve. You're not telling anyone else. But if it's helpful to somebody, I'm very glad to have shared it. Yeah, well, perfect. Thanks, Steve, and look forward to continuing the conversation. You Take too. Care. Thanks, thanks, Richard. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level. If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.